Welcome to the weekly podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. Thank you for being with us. This podcast is an opportunity for us to wrestle with life's tough questions, to wonder together about this world we inhabit, and to find ways to cultivate hope, compassionate service, and action in our lives and our communities and our world. To learn more, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. Welcome, friends. It is good to be together again as we dive into a new question, a new centering question for our time together. And our centering question this week is, how might we renew our relationships with our community partners as part of our new normal? And for me, this question is an invitation to wonder about what showing up looks like now, what moving in solidarity looks like now, what being in relationship looks like now, because we have had to shift and change a lot of the ways that we've been showing up for our community partners, a lot of the ways that we have been serving the folks to whom we feel a a sense of accountability. And so I have just been turning over in my mind the ways that we need to shift and be flexible and be willing to find new ways to show up in solidarity with those in need, both here in our own neighborhoods in Cheyenne and across this country and across this globe. So I am here and ready and looking forward to a conversation that begins here about what it means to show up in 2020. Let's dive in. To get started, I want us to talk about how our question, how this question of how we can renew our relationships with community partners, how that's showing up in the news, and how can this question help us make sense of these things that are showing up in the news. And uh, one piece of news that came across my news feed just today uh, was some information from the Pew Research Center about the percentage of Americans who support the Black Lives Matter movement. And that support really peaked in June at the height of a lot of the protests in the wake of George Floyd's killing at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department. And that support is down about 10% since June. Um, That in June, about 67% of uh, Americans said that they had some level of support for Black Lives Matter, and that's down to about 55%. And you see a similar drop in terms of how many folks offer strong support from about 38% in June to 29% now. And there are lots more interesting statistics and stuff like that. And I will put a link um, in our episode description so that you can go and look at the numbers yourself if that's your jam. But what this really brings up for me and makes me think of is how we are really transitioning, both in terms of our public awareness and, right, broad public awareness, and when I, right, and maybe to be more specific, public awareness for folks who are not Black folks around police violence, and in terms of our relationship to this pandemic, 
that we are in a place where we are moving away from this immediate crisis flashpoint, and we're moving towards the long haul. And there's been an article that's been passed around a lot of my social media this these past couple of weeks, and maybe yours too, about uh, surge capacity. And the original article talks about surge capacity as sort of the collection of adaptive systems that we draw on for our survival in these really acutely stressful situations, things like tornadoes or the beginning of a pandemic. And that our surge capacity has essentially just been totally sapped. And so we are struggling to get in for the long haul of the crisis. And the article mostly frames it as being about COVID-19 and about the pandemic and those sorts of things. But it really makes me wonder, as I look at this data from the Pew Research, it makes me wonder, how are we losing our surge capacity around solidarity and around allyship and around um, participating in social justice movements? And I really wonder what we can do to build resiliency in one another to increase our capacity to stay present to the level of crisis that's not only currently happening, but that's also going to continue to happen. Police violence against Black communities is not a new phenomenon, um, right? There's plenty of arguments to be made that, in fact, right, violence against Black communities by police is as old as policing itself in the United States. So this is nothing new, and it's not happening 10% less than it was in June. But somehow, folks in the United States are caring about 10% less about it. And I feel like that really gives me some pause as I think about the ways that we will need to tend to one another in the coming months, both around our solidarity work with our unhoused neighbors and our poor neighbors and our Black neighbors and our undocumented neighbors and our Indigenous neighbors, but also how we are going to deal with the economic impacts of this pandemic here in Wyoming and here in Cheyenne. Um, this surge capacity question just keeps coming back for me because I think about how in the immediate aftermath, sort of in the last two weeks of March and in the first couple of weeks of April, there was a, a huge sense of community solidarity, of coming together, of doing the work, of wanting to be, you know, on a team together and make sure that everyone had what they needed. And the reality is that, especially here in the state capitol with the coming state budget cuts, right, the economic impacts on a local level are just beginning. They're just beginning. So how can we recover not just our surge capacity, but how can we recover our capacity to just stay engaged with reality? 
because I think that's what's needed, at least in part, as we look at what's happening in the world around us. That's what's needed as we think about relationship with our community partners, is that we need to be able to stay engaged with reality, even as it seems grim or frustrating or horrifying or tiring, we have, we have to build one another up so that we can stay engaged with the world as it is in order to be effective partners for the, the folks with whom we are in solidarity, both here in our community locally and across the world. To get us grounded in our Unitarian Universalist history and theology before we spring into the rest of our time together, I want to draw us back in history uh, to a minister named the Reverend James Reeb. And James Reeb was a Unitarian Universalist minister who was murdered by white supremacists in Selma, Alabama in March of 1965. And James Reeb's ministry was one of movement towards relationship, movement towards relationship and movement towards solidarity, including um, leaving his position in congregational ministry and going to work in Roxbury, Massachusetts, a suburb of the Boston area, um, in direct relationship and direct solidarity with impacted poor and specifically poor Black communities there. And After Reeb was murdered, uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a eulogy at his funeral. And in the eulogy, King asks the question, who murdered James Reeb? And he begins with some of the obvious answers about the, you know, the white supremacist who is actually holding the weapon, you know, holding the club that hit James Reeb in the head. But then he moves on to talk about the broader forces that killed James Reeb. And so here we're going to hear a quote from King's eulogy. James Reeb was murdered by the indifference of every minister of the gospel who has remained silent behind the safe security of stained glass windows. He was murdered by the irrelevancy of a church that will stand amid social evil and serve as a taillight rather than a headlight, an echo rather than a voice. He was murdered by the irresponsibility of every politician who has moved down the path of demagoguery, who has fed his constituents the stale bread of hatred and the spoiled meat of racism. He was murdered by the brutality of every sheriff and law enforcement agent who practices lawlessness in the name of the law. He was murdered by the timidity of a federal government that can spend millions of dollars a day to keep troops in South Vietnam, yet cannot protect the lives of its own citizens seeking constitutional rights. Yes, he was even murdered by the cowardice of every Negro who tacitly accepts the evil system of segregation, who stands on the sidelines in the midst of a mighty struggle for justice. Hmm. Powerful and convicting words um, that I, I don't know about you, but they feel so alive and so relevant right now. Hmm. 
And we, as Unitarian Universalists, we come from a tradition that is home to radicals like James Reeb and others who fought for a vision of Unitarian Universalism that was neither indifferent nor irrelevant. But if we think that everybody in our pews or, frankly, in our pulpits was on board with ministers and activists like Reeb, we are kidding ourselves. Working in real solidarity is not unifying always or popular. The activist and author Brian Stevenson uses the phrase getting proximate to describe the work of actually being in relationship with the communities that we are hoping to serve um, and to be in partnership with. And that, that act of getting proximate, of actually encountering people as they are, is not really comfortable work. And so as I think about the legacy of James Reeb and of King's words in his eulogy for James Reeb, I think about our responsibility to continue to cultivate a version of Unitarian Universalism that values getting proximate, that values engaging with, with life as it is, with things as they are, in order to really impact change. And that that begins with relationship that is founded in an openness and a humility and a willingness to be changed. Because I think that if we go into our community partnerships with a sense of we are here to change people's circumstances or we're here to change laws or we're here to change outcomes for these other people, we are selling our highest values short. Because I think when I think about folks like James Reeb, I think about a Unitarian Universalism that begins from a place of humility, that begins from a place of how might I be transformed by being in relationship with my community. And I am heartened and hopeful and excited by the possibility of a Unitarian Universalism that starts there. In a moment, we'll hear from our guest on this week's podcast, Antonio Serrano from Juntos. But uh, before we get into our conversation with Antonio, I just want to offer that there are so many organizations that the congregation has partnered with over time who are in need right now. There are organizations like Family Promise and Camilla that work with our unhoused neighbors. There are organizations like um, Black Dog Animal Rescue and Wyoming Equality that are figuring out how to do their work in a more remote and virtual way. There are organizations that have had their fundraisers have to move online. There are organizations, I think about, you know, like Bethel Ministries working on prison reentry, whose work remains as critical as ever. Um, and that all of these organizations need our support, need us to show up, need us to have their back. Um, so please, if you are feeling hopeless or powerless, please reach out to an organization that you have a connection with, have a partnership with to see what they need right now. I know that, for example, 
St. Joe's Food Pantry needs volunteers that they, in the before times, they relied on a lot of retired folks who don't feel comfortable or safe volunteering at the food pantry at St. Joe's right now. And over the summer, they were relying on a lot of high school and college students who are back to school. So if you are able, if you're comfortable, please reach out, consider ways to get engaged and involved. Um, and hear this whole episode as a call to show up in whatever way that means for you right now, in whatever way you can, please show up. Hi, my name is Antonio Serrano. I'm the chairman of Juntos, um, which is a nonprofit here in Wyoming that's been fighting for immigrants since 2016 and hopefully will keep doing it for a long, long time. Yeah. So I'm wondering, Antonio, thinking about how all of our lives and worlds have changed over these past six months, um, how has Juntos' work changed over these past six months or, or has it? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed drastically. Um, I mean, a lot of our work was in person. Trainings were in person when we were getting new volunteers for in, involved in the work. Um, campaign meetings were always in person. Um, and, you know, just inter trying to do outreach to the community. That was that was all in person, you know, going to businesses, going to communities and just trying to spread awareness of like the existence of the rapid response network or, you know, the things that Juntos can do for them. And right now we can't do all that. And it makes it really challenging because we know that like all the people we're trying to help don't have access to Zoom or whatever, you know what I mean? Some, not everybody we're trying to help has access to the internet. And it's, it's just, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating that, you know, it's, we know there's a large group of people who are needing know your rights info still, because we know ICE is still active. Um, we know that there's people who are struggling to, to make it through because immigrant folks, especially undocumented, don't have access to the same, you know, assistance that, that everyone else does. So it's just, it's challenging. It's, it's changed a lot. You know, trying to switch to a digital thing is, is it's easier for organizing. I mean, to get five people on a call is a lot easier than, than getting five people in a room. <laughs> but, um, but when it comes to actually the work in the community, it's made it a lot more difficult for sure. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. And uh, I'm curious if the, if you feel like the work it's or the need itself has changed like our folks needs different now um in the folks that you're trying to help and serve and work with i think a, a little bit yes and a little bit no because i mean like you know for no like the 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 need for know your rights act information about know your rights stuff is still there that's always been something juntos has worked on doing and it's it's still a big need because like I said, ICE is still active, you know, they're still going to places like Jackson, you know, and, and that's scary during a pandemic when, when these ICE agents are coming from who knows where, stopping who knows where along the way, and then coming into our community and interacting with families. So it's, it's the need for Know Your Rights Info is, is still there. Um, but I guess the thing that's changed is like the, you know, immigrant folks are struggling. If you're, if, if they're undocumented, you know, and they got the hours cut like a lot of people are. So a lot of people are losing their jobs right now. Um, they don't, they can't apply for the same benefits that a lot of other people can, you know, and, and especially with all the rhetoric from, from this administration, it's just, if people feel scared to reach out for help for anything, you know, they feel like 
they could be they could be targeted just just for it's crazy ridiculous things just for maybe applying for WIC or something like that you know what I mean it's just it's 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 scary it's scary for folks so it's it has changed but it, it hasn't you know it's just it's an, a new fear and an evolving fear I guess yeah well and it sounds like it's a different a different and maybe deeper kind of isolation because I think so many folks are feeling isolated and dealing with isolation right now, but to be isolated even further by your documentation status from uh, the, what little lifelines do exist um, is a real struggle. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's like people who are already, you know, living in the shadows have to go farther into the dark and that's, that's a horrifying thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the right, problems that have always existed, things like wage theft and work exploitation and sexual harassment in the workplace and things like that, um, that have always been harder for undocumented folks to report and get justice on, the, right, the further folks are pushed, in, pushed into the shadows, the harder it is for them to connect on those things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what, in the, given all of that, given that isolation and given the hard pivot to, to digital organizing over in-person organizing. What do you feel like Juntos's greatest needs are right now? Like what, what as an organization do you need most? Well, um, right now Juntos is, is we're doing, we're raising funds for COVID relief for immigrant families. Mm -hmm. So that way when, when there is a family in need and if they can't get groceries or they just need to keep the lights on or whatever it is that they're needing to get through, you know, Juntos can be there to have, help them out and have their back. Um, so we're, we're selling T-shirts to, to raise money for that. Um, and we're also going to be kind of going back to our original work. You know, for at the beginning of, of Juntos, we, we, our big focus was just distributing Know Your Rights books. And then as time has gone on, we've kind of pivoted into campaign work, like the Wild Say No campaign, you know, police divestment work here in Cheyenne, um, school district stuff here in Cheyenne. So it's 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 kind of changed, but we're getting we're going to go back to that. We're going to start um, distributing paper copies of Know Your Rights info because we know it's not easy to to get on the internet and print off a stack of papers. You know what I mean? So if there's folks out there who are who are needing a Know Your Rights book and needing information, we're going to print that off and and send it directly to them. So that way, it's we want to make it accessible for everybody. You know what I mean? Especially during these times. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, if folks wanted to to support that, you know, I mean, they could always donate to Juntos. Um, half the money that from a general donation goes to Juntos for work like that. And then the other half goes to the Rapid Response Network for any of their needs, whether it's printing Know Your Rights cards in Jackson or printing flyers in Casper um, or what else, like holding trainings, renting a space and getting food for trainings in, in Laramie or Torrington. I mean, there's there's rapid response members everywhere who are doing work and they, they need backup. You know what I mean? It's not easy to, to keep going during these times with when it's just, we need backup from the community, I guess, you know? So that, yeah, if folks would donate to Juntos. If they could buy a t-shirt, that would be awesome. You know, then they could rock that Juntos shirt <laughs> represent. Yes. I know. I need to get a sweatshirt because I bought a tank top, but now it's winter in Wyoming. Um, <laughs> yeah, it comes up quick, right? It does. It really does. So, right, hearing you talk about Juntos needs uh, community folks to have their back, and you have done organizing work for a long time, and have had a lot of experience with both helpful allies and unhelpful, maybe quote unquote allies. 
So as you think about what, what does solidarity look like with undocumented folks and with the immigrant community right now, what does, what does it, not just, you know, what does your organization need, but like on a broader scale, what does solidarity look like right now? I think it, it, from, it means like understanding how, how something affects another community that doesn't affect yourself and being will, willing to take leadership from another community who is affected by that issue or that thing. Um, you know, not putting that, that community on blast. You know, we want to talk about things, but we also don't want to expose people during scary times. So it's, it's a challenging thing when it comes to immigration. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's educating yourself also. I mean, we've had a lot of amazing allies stand with us and which is great. And I love my allies and we couldn't be where we are today without, you know, our allies. But when you're, you're not from like, when you're not from where I'm from, when you haven't lived through what I've lived, when you haven't been told the hateful, evil things that I've been told, like right to my face, like you don't get it. And I think understanding that you don't get it and not beating yourself up for that, but just understanding and, and trying to learn from the people who have been is really important. Like right now, it seems like there's a lot of a lot of people wanting to hold events or rallies or marches because they're upset, which is understandable. But then they it turns out that they don't they don't involve people of color in the leadership or in the decision making of those events. And they don't even consider if that would really be helpful to people of color here. And I guess solidarity is just like. It's a lot of maybe I don't know if this is the right word, but soul searching, <laughs> you know, looking mm-hmm. for yourself and really like looking at, at the things that you do in your life, the things you can affect in your life, you know, talking to the people around you who you care about and trying to understand what they've been through and really being there. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of people say that they're with me, but then when I call them to show up, they there's no answer. Mm-hmm. So it's I mean, it's like showing up. Because we're we're like fighting for our lives, we're fighting for our families, we're fighting for our our existence here, and it it's 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 frustrating when you have people who who say they're with you, but then they disappear when they need you. So solidarity for me is like always being there w- with your allies when they need you. It's a lot of different things, I guess. I kind of went on a lot of different things what it means to me, but I mean, it's complex. It's complex like that. Yeah, it's not one thing. It's it's a lot of different things, and it's gonna always it's gonna be something new tomorrow, and in a month is gonna be something new. Then it's it's gonna be something that you have to continue growing at and learning, and and just being open to like change and getting better at you know. Yeah, I appreciate that invitation to soul searching as part of being an ally. That it, uh, I feel like white folks sometimes we are so eager to to prove that we're doing the right thing that we forget about the part of it that's about undoing xenophobia, white supremacy, colonialism in our own hearts. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, is there anything else you'd want to add for posterity? Um, I would say like, um, I like to end things, especially now when things are, are pretty hot, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's scary for immigrant folks. It's scary for people of color with what's happening with police um, and I know sometimes a lot of people don't feel like they know what they can do. You know, it's like, is, is, do I just donate? Do I just 
you know, send an email. What do I do? Like, what we need is we need people to, to join. We need people to join juntos. We need, especially young people, young people of color, people like me who are, you know, immigrants or children of immigrants like myself. And they're, and they've seen what, what racism and stuff had, like what that has an effect, how that affects our community. You know, if they, if there's people out there who are ready to like stand up and fight and, and do more, I mean, if you, and if you want to fight with a team who, who does it like fiercely and fearlessly, Juntos is definitely the team for you. So if there's folks out there who want to, want to get involved, want to be part of the organizing because the change in Wyoming that's needed isn't going to happen with just a few people who are in Juntos. It's going to have to happen with a movement and we need people for that movement. So if there's people who want to be part of that, please, you know, reach out to us, join the team, be part of the work. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for being in community with us together. It's an honor and a gift to be in conversation about this question and about all of the questions that rattle around in our brains these days. If you want to engage further, you can find more ways to get in touch with this question and with our monthly themes and with each other on our website at uucheyenne.org or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash uucheyenne. In both of those places, you'll find information about joining us for our Zoom worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock Mountain Time. We are so grateful for each and every one of you, for the ways you show up, for the gifts you bring, and for the community that emerges in unexpected ways. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.